Golden State will start with the ball in the third quarter. Raptors led by as many as 12 in the first half, and Golden State closing the first half on a little bit of a run to shave this thing down to five. On the far side to Iguodala, who knocks down the jumper. Curry thought about it. Now he beats Lowry off the bounce, gets down toward the left block, floats it off, glassing in, and the lead is down to one. Three ball, wide open. Iguodala, knock it down. Golden State is on top. 61-59. If we go back to late second quarter, the Raptors were up 56-45. It was an 11-point lead with 2.04 to go. Golden State now in the midst of a 16-3 run. Uh, it's all about our defense, and uh, we held them to 37%. You know, forced 15 turnovers and guarded the three-point line well. So it was uh, championship defense, and that's what it's going to take. Wide open underneath in the back door, Draymond Green. No Raptor within six feet. Golden State, a 14-0 run to start the third quarter. The Raptors are scoreless in four minutes and 25 seconds. Here comes Iggy to a cutting Draymond. Layup is in, and the run continues. It's just that third quarter. I feel like it just really killed us, you know what I mean? 18-0 round, we can't score no baskets. You're not going to win no game. Siakam out to Green for three. Busted. Danny Green from the left wing buries the east side triple. Raptors down two. 20 seconds to play. Curry to Green to Livingston. You need a foul, but not Curry. Curry's got it. Toward the far sideline. Passed out. Nearly picked off by Curry. Iguodala far sideline. The three ball is good by Andre Iguodala. And Nick Nurse is screaming right now. He wanted a foul, but not on Steph Curry. We're in the same boat there, kind of. We're in coming here. You know, we got to go out there and get one. That's all we got to do is get one. And uh, we can do that. Well, that wasn't ideal. But it's not the end of the world. Golden State Warriors even up the NBA Finals at one apiece in Toronto on Sunday in Game 2 with a 109-104 win. Toronto was in control for the first half, but then the Warriors warriored with an 18-0 run. Donovan Bennett with J.D. Bunkus and... It's a lot of ball moving by the Warriors. 34 assists on 38 made field goals, which is crazy. But we're going to get into what Golden State did. But a lot of this was what the Raptors failed to do. When you say the Warriors warriored, and you use warriored as a noun, when the, we look back in the history book, is that third quarter dominance? That's also strength in numbers. Overwhelming with superstars? Pick someone in the groin? It's a good distinction. So I was talking to your boy the notorious JVG, Jeff Van Gundy, and he gave me this line, and I'm going to use it. That's my boy? No. <laughs> I was like, that's is thrilling news for me. The Warriors, strength of the numbers as a moniker, as a mantra, it's their version of We the North. One, it came from the fact that they're so analytics-based, and then it turned into the fact that they had great depth in 2015 and 16, and that was true then when they had Barbosa off the bench, and Livingston was much better than Livingston now. But now it's not strength in numbers. It's strength in number of stars. Yep. And they've got a lot of them. They've got Clay and Steph and Draymond and KD and now Cousins. Except right now they don't have KD. And DeMarcus Cousins did not play basketball for the last five weeks. And Steph was under the weather. And Clay left. And you still lost. I think that you nailed it there. Is that strength in numbers is like a lot of language, right? It evolves. 
It becomes a new thing. It takes on a new interpretation. And last night, the Warriors' strength in numbers was probably 28%, which is what the Raptors shot from three. Because I really thought that that was the biggest thing that hurt Toronto last night. Strength in numbers was just the missed open looks that the Toronto Raptors had in that ball game. Because, yeah, you go through it. That's a tough way to lose. This reminds me a little bit of the Milwaukee game, game one, where you really felt like if the Raptors lose this series, this will be the game everyone goes back and talks about. Like, this will be the what-if game. This will be the Marshawn Lynch on the one-yard line, why didn't you just hand him the ball game? Do you get that sense? Like, you go through it, Kevon Looney leaves that game with an injury. It forces DeMarcus Cousins, who's coming back and playing on one leg, to extend himself into 26 minutes. And we'll talk about him a little bit more later. He was solid, but I don't think he was great. Clay Thompson didn't play the fourth quarter of that basketball game. There's no Kevin Durant still. Steph Curry had an illness or some dehydration and started that game 0-5 and just did not look uh, like the Steph Curry we've become accustomed to. Andre Godala tweaks something in his leg and has to leave at the end of the second quarter and comes back and, again, also playing on leg, one leg. What am I missing here? Like, we just watched a Raptors team leave a game on the table that, on paper, seems like it should have been a route for them. You mentioned the numbers, and the, the number that I think of, and especially if the Raptors go on to lose the series, is teams that go down 0-2 go on a win of final series 12% of the time. This is going to be two series. It's going to be the series before KD and the series after KD. You think KD's coming back for sure? I do. I Did do. you see him in warm-ups the other day? Like they were a shoot-around? They had a video of him? No. He is not moving very well. I'll believe it when I see it with him. I don't know. I think that game four right now for Kevin Durant feels really optimistic based on the way that a seven-footer who's been on the shelf for almost a month is, is moving. But anyways, I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm fearful of it. I think it could be that. I'm just I'm more dubious of it after seeing that video. I think he plays game four. I think game three after just one day of practice is too early. And people say practice. Nobody's really practicing now. So he's not going to get no, they're shooting. what's close to game-like activity until he plays in a game. We saw that with Cousins. Cousins basically rehabbed in game one and then played in game two. They're, they're rehabbing their center in the NBA Finals. So Katie... It was not on the bench. He was watching on a monitor in the hallway by the Raptors locker room, which is virtually where the video of him and Clay harassing Drake was. There's some security. You mean Aubrey, as they called him. Right, yes, his given name. There's some security monitors there that uh, you can watch the game on, and it's on a bit of a delay. It's like a three or four second delay, which really matters on Raptors baskets, not on Warriors baskets, because the level of the crowd doesn't change that much. But when Iguodala hit that three, there were lots of expletives and general jubilance would be the word. Like, Katie was happier than any of the Warriors who were on the court. Oh, is there a video of him or were you there? No, no, no. I, I saw it with my own eyes. And so I took that. I, I did not see him shoot around, but I took that how amped up he was knowing that, okay, like we're within distance. I'm the anchor leg. Just stay close. Just mm -hmm. stay close. Come around that third turn. Get me the baton, and like I'm gonna help take us home. And again, on a night where you know who else was in underneath the stands in that hallway it was Clay Thompson. Mm -hmm. Like the video of them harassing Drake. If you watch the full clip, 
they're out there dapping up every member of the Warriors team and staff had a huge hug for DeMarcus Cousins because they know, like, we stole one. We stole one. We could have been down 0-2 in this series going back to the Bay. Now, the next time we come back to Toronto, we could be coming to close it out. Yeah, I think that that is, again, part of why this hurts so much, that Raptors fans are probably sitting with this one with a bit more of a sour taste in their mouth today because there really was this opportunity to put a ton of pressure on the Golden State Warriors. All of a sudden, yeah, Kevin Durant, if, if they lose that game, I think you are looking at a situation where the Warriors need him to win the series. I know you thought that going into it. I was always on the fence. Like I I thought they had an opportunity to do it. I needed to see some games. But now tied 1-1, you have that opportunity to say, okay, well, maybe if Kevin Durant comes back in game five or game six, or even if it's just a game seven, you feel more comfortable about it as the Warriors. Like I think you're down 0-2 and you start to press a little bit. All of a sudden, he feels like he has to come back a little bit earlier. Or he feels like maybe he doesn't come back at all because what's the point? They're already in a potentially an 0-3 hole. The big one to me is that team basically has, as you alluded to off the top, very, very limited depth. And a Raptors team that in that Milwaukee series proved to be a pretty strong eight-man team last night played a two-man team. Like I thought that the only two players on the Raptors that played – where they're kind of supposed to, and Fred Van Vliet a little bit above his head. But yeah, we're Kawhi and Fred. Fred hit big shots. He played incredible defense on Steph Curry. He continues to do that. It's now, I think it's actually a thing where I'm never going to say someone's the Curry stopper because no one's a stopper of elite superstars like this. But I do believe that Fred Van Vliet is one of the best players in the NBA at guarding Steph Curry. There were moments in that game where they were actively trying to get Fred Van Vliet off of Steph Curry and were happily having Kawhi on him instead of Fred. And Kawhi was his own kind of aggressive. I thought he attacked the basket early. He was kind of the only reliable Raptors offensive weapon. He had like probably a few too many turnovers, but guy finishes with 14 rebounds and 30 plus points again. It was a pretty vintage Kawhi performance, but that was the Raptors back to what we had hoped they left behind them, which is Kawhi, maybe one other player and nobody else stepping up. Well, it's not the case of he might be the best player to guard Steph Curry. Fred VanVleet is. Like, yeah. if you just look at the numbers per 100 possessions, the best defender against Steph Curry is Fred VanVleet. His numbers are better than Patrick Beverly, better than P.J. Tucker, better than Chris Paul. Like, they're just better, and we're seeing it in this series. You could say, man, VanVleet hasn't been in the league a long time. Curry missed the game this year due to injury. How many minutes did they actually see each other? Yeah, like, it's limited. We're, 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 but we're seeing it over two games. Yeah, he bothers him. In this series. And the Raptors... This is the frustrating thing is, I guess it's frustrating, but it's also you know somewhat optimistic, is that they played somewhat well. They won three of the four quarters. In this series, they've won six of the eight quarters. They've lost the third quarter in both games. Difference is, in game one, they lost the third quarter by three. In game two, they lost the third quarter by 13. But ultimately, like they did some good things last night. They won sure. second chance points, twenty-three to nothing. The issue was they shot thirty-five percent. They had fifteen turnovers, and they let the game get away from them in the third quarter and didn't have the offensive capability to make up for it in the fourth. So, I think it started in the second. I think the second quarter was where the Warriors kind of built their belief up, and this goes into we talked about this after Game One, the idea that. The Raptors showed real mental fortitude when the Warriors went on their run. 
that every time the Warriors pushed it to three points, to four points, the Raptors had an answer for that. They were able to get themselves back into the game. Siakam was hitting incredible shots. They, they came up with a timely three-pointer. Something happened that went well for the Raptors. And we said, that's the kind of mental toughness you need to win this series against the champs. And in this game, I thought that wasn't really there. It wasn't the same way. There wasn't the same discipline that the Raptors showed in game one. I thought it started with Kyle Lowry, to be honest. He was having a pretty decent first half. He just couldn't stay out of foul trouble. And then the guys on the bench to close like the first or the last five minutes of the second quarter, which is kind of what one of the problem spots was. Two minutes left in the second. Raptors are up 11 points. You're feeling very, very good. The crowd is super into it. Steph Curry is still struggling. Klay Thompson is really your only offense for the Warriors other than the the free throws that the whistle was a little bit shaky, but nothing that I think merits too much time on. And all of a sudden, it's a Clay three and six points from Steph Curry, and the Warriors go into the half down five. And you felt disappointed in that. Like it was, okay, they didn't really step on the Warriors' throats. They didn't really have an opportunity. How are they going to recalibrate coming out of the half? And coming out of the half was a disaster. It was just this nightmare that just never ended. You're just sitting there watching this game like, okay, at some point this is going to end. At some point somebody's going to have an open shot. And it was the same thing over and over and over again, which is the Raptors overhelping or playing too aggressively on defense, allowed cutters to get to the basket, allowed cutters to get wide open. They got Warriors got all these beautiful looks at the rim off of beautiful cuts, beautiful passes, beautiful ball movement. Again, you mentioned the assists. That was truly astonishing watching the Warriors move the ball around in that quarter. Like that whole run, not one of those buckets was unassisted. Every single one of them came off of basically a brilliant Warriors pass. And the Raptors were kind of the opposite. Like they went into a lot of mostly isolation play. They got some decent looks, but they clanged all of their open threes and they couldn't get to the basket. And what does that result in? Transition opportunities for the Warriors where they're at their best and they started to break the Raptors down. I just, that was the most excruciating stretch of probably the entire postseason. If you're a Raptors fan was watching them just have that inability to get to the basket and then an ability to stop the Warriors from getting to theirs. The Warriors and the, Second quarter on the 19-2 run. So that lead, that was 12, gets cut to five. And you're kind of looking up saying, Raptors played pretty well, but they're only up five. Yeah. Just shooting 40%. And then you get hit with that run to start. The third quarter, Warriors go on an 18-0 run in the first 530 of the third quarter. Raptors didn't score until Fed Van Vliet hit a three midway through the first. Over five minutes without a bucket in an NBA Finals game against the Golden State Warriors. Like, the fact that they were even in range to steal that game is a miracle. Well, I think the fact that Toronto ended up only being outscored 34-21 to in the third was somewhat a miracle because it looked like it was going to be a lot worse and it was going to be a blowout and people would be sitting in the fourth quarter in terms of who the stars would be. It looked like the Warriors were going to run away with the game. You know what, though? That's kind of an interesting part as well to that third was the 18-0 run was big and obviously that's going to be the thing everyone talks about. But also in that third quarter, the Raptors got an opportunity against all of a sudden Andrew Bogut is in this game. All of a sudden Quinn Cook is in this game. The Warriors are throwing their bench players in and you're saying to yourself, okay, Raps kept this fairly close. Like once Fred Van Vliet hits that three, it's back down to, I think, a nine point game. All you need is a little mini run. Close this quarter, down four, down five. No problem. And the Warriors bench players like kept responding. Bogut's scoring at the rim. Quinn Cook comes up with a couple of massive threes. 
Alfonso McKinney gets to the basket and, and scores a jump hook. Like their bench guys stepped up in a way that the Raptors peripheral players just, just didn't in that game. Like they got good minutes in that third. That wasn't just the run. That was a complete quarter from the Warriors. Like that, there's no surprise that they ended up dominating that way. The Raptors only offense in that third really was Kawhi Leonard getting to the basket and then drawing fouls. Like no one else stepped up. Well, we know they're a good third quarter team and they came in averaging 29 points in the third. They put up 34, which is five better than that. And they end up the Raptors losing by five And that ball movement, the 14 assists in the third 22 in the second half, all their field goals were assisted, which is a record in the second half. Those bench guys, they have to play that way. People complain about, Ooh, the offense with KD. It's not as fun. It's not as interesting. There's less ball movement. Well, yeah, there's less ball movement because you give the ball to KD and get out of the way. Quinn Cook needs ball movement to get good shots. Same thing with Bogut. He needs someone to get him the ball basically around the cylinder of the rim Bogut's for him to score. All of his baskets, tip he was, ins, he was playing he volleyball. Completely neglected. He was basically playing volleyball at the rim. And then when you look at the role players for the Raptors, the secondary stars, the guys aside from Kawhi and Fred VanVleet because he's a star, the biggest difference between Game One and Game Two for both teams is. Will the role players step up? Game one, Steph goes off for 30-plus. He's limited in game two, but he's still so great, he gets you 23. Mm -hmm. Flip that with Kawhi. He's limited. He's being trapped in in game one, still gets you into the 20s. He's seeing more one-on-ones in game two. He goes off for for 30-plus. The difference is, what are those other guys going to do? Because those stars are going to get their points, whether they're having a good night or a bad night. Siakam, Gasol, and Green in game one combined for 63 points in game two. 26. Like, those are three of your starters. If you're getting 26 points for them, well, do the math. How are you getting to 100-plus when Nick Nurse is only playing eight guys? I'm going to quickly go through all of these three. I'm going to start with Danny Green because I thought he was the worst of them. He gave the Raptors the least. Danny Green is one of the most frustrating players I can ever remember watching when he puts the ball on the floor. Like, remember when you didn't like seeing Serge Ibaka put the ball on the floor? Danny Green is like that on steroids. Every time he does it, he seems to dribble into a situation where it has to be a very difficult pass. I think he had three turnovers in this game. He started 0 of 3 from 3 with three turnovers. Like, that's the stuff that you can't rely on. You can't play Danny Green if he's going to be that way. I know he came up with the big shot late. He had a nice big transition three late as well. But it really hurt them the way that he was playing early on. And once again, he got bailed out by Fred Van Vliet. Kyle Lowry, I've already kind of touched on. I think he's, he's got to clean up his fouls. Like, I get that he plays with that aggression level and he wants to make plays for his team and he wants to be a guy that's, you know, jumping in front to take charges. And that's fine. I thought he got, you know, robbed a little bit on one of those blocking fouls. But ultimately, like, guy had two fouls 90 feet away from his basket and one of them just kind of a stupid, lazy reaching foul as well, where you're looking at it and saying, what's the upside of this? Really cost his team a lot of minutes. Marcus Gasol had that good blend of aggressiveness and playmaking in game one. And it really wasn't there in game two. Like, I don't remember Gasol having so little touch around the basket. Like, it seems like he's like really pushing it when he's in close and he's looking for his matchups down low. And it's kind of dictated by what he does from the three-point line now. So tough game for him offensively. And then Siakam is probably the biggest thing that you would look at and say, well, what changed between game one and game two? Because guys, 14 to 17 in game one and then five of 18 in game two. He had a good second quarter. That was when the Raptors were pushing the ball in transition. And we've said that that suits Siakam's style, right? Getting up and down, getting to the basket, making good plays. He had a 
couple of beautiful assists in that second quarter. But then for the rest of the game, like basically took away the basket from him. And it was same old Siakam where all of a sudden you're starting to see, not same old, but I mean the bad version of Siakam where he's trying to pull up for twos, like mid-range shots. He's looking discombobulated on offense. He can't get to the rim. That lack of secondary punch after Kawhi Leonard last night is just, I think it's going to haunt a lot of those guys. Well, I'll tell you what changed for Siakam in game two. And basketball in a way, it's like math. Like it's compounding. Everything is connected. Nothing is in isolation. And the Warriors in game one, they were trapping Kawhi Leonard early, sending him bodies. They wanted to be mobile. That's why they didn't play their bigs as much. That's why Jordan Bell started the game in one in game one. Jordan Bell did not play in game two. They decided, yeah, we, we've been known to go small. We're going big. We're, mm-hmm. we're playing Looney. We're playing Cousins. We're starting Cousins. We're playing Bogut, even though he didn't play in game one. And so what that meant was that they didn't trap Kawhi with because they didn't have the foot speed on the floor to do it, they gave him more one-on-one looks. And as we said, they were listening to Free Association. Steve Kerr is an associate. They were saying, we're going to force Kawhi Leonard to beat us. And Kawhi almost did. But they had much more length in the paint, much more size. And that made it difficult for everyone else, including Pascal Siakam. And the Raptors went 20 of 28 in the paint in game one. Siakam really was at the heart of that, went 10 of 11 inside. Cousins and Bogan, played and they changed that their combined 35 minutes Toronto was 22 of 46 in the paint you're shooting below 50 percent in the paint not a good look and Siakam 5 of 14 at the rim so to me that was and the two difference. of those off of fast break yes they had less fast break opportunities they got back they were getting back and finding his body in transition you know there was a couple of times where Steph Curry as the outlet guy um, or as a safety guy, I should say, as the point guard, you know, as you're told in like high school basketball, like the point guard has to be the safety and stay back, give us some defensive balance. He would track back and get on Pascal Siakam, not allowing him to kind of get out in the break. And so now the question is, all right, well, great, we'll take this. Steph Curry guarding Pascal Siakam in the half court. Can we take advantage of it? Well, no, because one, the Warriors were really smart and they were switching off ball to get Steph off of Siakam and it wasn't recognized early enough by the Raptors or just Pascal wasn't aggressive enough to take care of it. In the half court in game one, per 100 possessions, Toronto was 109.4. Basically, that's an outstanding offense. Game two, 77.2. That was the difference. They turned the ball over. They didn't get out on the break and they weren't able to punish the Warriors in the half court because the Warriors had so much size and length and it really bothered them in the paint. And I think it really affected them come crunch time. Because you saw in that third quarter when the Raptors were struggling, what were they doing? They were missing wide open threes. Like they were settling for shots out on the perimeter when no one really had it from distance in that game. Again, they shot sub 30%. At some point, you have to kind of recognize you have to try to go back into the paint. What happened in the fourth quarter? When the Warriors didn't score for five minutes. But you say go back in the paint. Who's going in the paint? You just it's said gotta be, you don't want to see Danny Green dribble. I don't want to and see Danny when Green dribble. Lowry, I don't see Danny Green on the floor in those when, situations. When Lowry and Van Vliet get to the paint, they can't finish yep. over and around Cousins and Bogut. Van Vliet so did a pretty good job of doing it. Van Vliet got out and finished. Van Vliet's so confident. So he did a fast break with Kawhi Leonard right behind him and went at a seven-footer and finished a layup. It's unreal the, the shift in confidence that he has had over this poor season. And you're right. One of those things is Kyle Lowry fouls out with still about four minutes to play in that game, which really handicaps what the Raptors can do. Kawhi Leonard, again, how much can you ask of a single player? He's already at 34 points. 
The best offense they had was Kawhi Leonard attacking. A few turnovers by him, maybe leaving the ball out a little bit too much, allowing uh, the Warriors to get some hands on him when they all collapsed. Other Raptors not hitting shots. All right. Siakam's the other guy. Siakam's the other guy that you need to be attacking the basket in those situations, that you need that secondary offensive player to kind of overcome his situation. And he just kind of wasn't able to do it. I thought that that was one of the main stories, like missed open threes and lack of aggression going to the rim. When the Warriors, like, again, closing in that game, the final five minutes or that five-minute stretch where the Warriors couldn't knock down a field goal, Raptors kept settling for threes. Like, it was three, three, three. They kept missing threes. Nobody's getting to the rim. It's like, all you need is a basket. You're down eight points. All you need is a basket. The first one they got that really like started to turn it was with that one minute left when finally Kawhi again gets free throws and then Steph Curry gets a technical foul and it's a five-point game. Getting to the rim, getting fouls with Kawhi Leonard was basically the template in this ball game. Not having Kyle Lowry really hurt them, but not having Siakam as his like normal aggressive self was, I thought, yeah, again, the, the big shift in those games. Beverly was massive. 17 points. He was. He was huge. Three steals. Played 38 minutes. This guy's coming off the bench. You expect him to play 20, 25, maybe 28. Playing 38 minutes, and not just 38 normal minutes. For the vast majority of them, he's running around chasing Steph Curry off of multiple actions, off of pin downs, off of multiple screens on both sides, and really just frustrating him and staying in his jersey. Curry, the, the Under Armour biomechanics team, kind of studied his movement he runs 2.3 miles per game and changes direction every two seconds. So basically, imagine running a 5K and moving side to side the entire time. That's what it's like guarding Steph Curry. That sounds like light work for you. No, no. Well, it's, <laughs> it's light work for Fred Van Vliet, apparently, because he's still able to have his legs on his shot. Because often what guarding Curry does is it takes away your offense, scored 17 points. We talked about Gasol and Green and... Siakam and what they didn't do. To me, the biggest culprit last night was Kyle Lowry. And another Jeff Van Gundy quote was, dumb will get you beat. And he originally said that about J.R. Smith playing against the Warriors in the finals and the mental lapses that he has that you just can't afford in high stakes against a great team. And to me, that that's Lowry. Lowry game one, 36 minutes, 7 points, 9 assists, but he was plus 11, even though he was just 22% from the floor. But in game two, when you're expecting a bounce back, 28 minutes because of foul trouble, 13 points, two assists. Yeah, two assists, two turnovers. Minus 17 mm-hmm. on 36.4% Raptors shooting. Low. He wasn't good all night, not including the fouls. And if you want to say some of the fouls to get him into foul trouble were questionable, sure. But swiping at the ball when Cousins has secured the rebound. What's like, the upside on that play? Uh, like, what's the best case scenario? If that's what I'm asking Kyle Lowry if we're breaking down film. Actually, I'm probably not saying anything because I don't want Kyle Lowry to bite my head off in the film room. But well, if, Lowry said, actually, this year, Nurse has only screamed at the team twice. Yeah. Which oh, I, which you, I, no kidding. <laughs> he's like, you think he's going to yell at Kawhi? His whole mandate this year is uh, Nick... Uh, no yelling at Kawhi. That's your basically your biggest rule. Well, like, don't piss off Kawhi. In film, that would be time three. Do you really think with one hand you are going to dislodge the ball from DeMarcus Cousins, who has it with two? He gets the ball there. Let's say he gets the ball. What happens? You have to wait for everybody to come back in transition. You're hoping for your stagnant offense to get a bucket. Like that's the upside versus you fouling out of the basketball game. Pride comes before the fall, man. And I tweeted that it was a, an inexcusable mistake. And some people were like, that was oh, a tough one. that's his play. 
That's what he does. Well, guess what he's doing right now? For the second time in the playoffs, he's sitting and watching crunch time. He's been in foul trouble virtually the entire postseason. You have to be smarter. Kyle Lowry is an incredibly smart player and person. That's not a good look. Even if you are the hustle guy, there's time and score. And that's not the time or the score to do that. I I really only thought one foul against Lowry was like a truly egregious one, too. Like, I thought the one where DeMarcus Cousins barreled through him, and even then you could have looked at his feet and, like, kind of made the case. He was outside of the restricted area, but that's usually a call that you give to a guard, especially since Cousins was spinning out of control and Lowry got pretty close to that. But, yeah, that's a bunch of fouls. Where anyone who's complaining after this game about the whistle. No, no. The whistle had a moment where it was looking bad, and then it just regulated. Maybe bad for both teams. Not bad for the Raptors. The Raptors were at home. You think the whistle's getting any better in game three or four in Oracle? Danny Green had a a couple questionable plays that were not called fouls. Kawhi Leonard went to the line 16 times, set a finals record for consecutive uh, free throws made in a finals game with 16. The whistle... Inconsistent, sure. But bad against the Raptors? No. Lowry has to be smarter. Well, the other thing, too, is he can't take those dumb fouls because against the Warriors, you know the one he took where Steph Curry got wide open in the corner and he had to kind of just like shove his way through Sean Livingston? You need those fouls. Like you have to have those ones where you got to take it so that Steph Curry doesn't knock down an open shot. You have to have them so that you're not in the bonus against an elite free-throw shooting team that basically kept the Warriors hanging around in it, right? Like, a lot of those Raptors fouls in that second quarter, that should have been a blowout. Raps should have been running away with that game. They were dominating them in the first half. They were the much better team for the vast majority of the second quarter. The only offense that the Warriors were getting was off of, again, Clay Thompson hitting, I won't say miracle shots because he's Clay Thompson and he's capable of making those, but we're talking about Clay Thompson knocking down off-balance shots with a split-second with someone like Pascal Siakam jumping at him. You feel pretty good if that's their one piece of offense that they're going with the entire game. The only thing the Raptors did was put guys at the line. I thought they let DeMarcus Cousins get a little comfortable at the line. And I guess we should talk about Boogie here. But yeah, man, Raptors, that's the discipline we're talking about, though, is that it's the turnovers. It's the missed assignments on on backdoor cuts, which hurt them really in that second half. It's a leader like Kyle Lowry taking those bad fouls. And it's the whole team taking just too many fouls and too many tough spots, and then nobody being able during an 18-0 run to come up with, with a clutch possession and a clutch basket until it's Fred Van Vliet in a corner. Like, those are all a lot to do with discipline issues, which is kind of surprising from a veteran team that knew the stakes of this ballgame. This is a PSA to all of the graphics makers of basketball broadcasts. Please, 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 in the key, show the foul situation because it is more instructive how close a team is to the bonus than how many timeouts a team has left. Like, honestly, do we care how many timeouts there are in the middle of the first quarter or even the middle of the third? Name me the coach that ran out of timeouts in a big spot. Like, this is not football. This is one of your best takes. Well, give me the foul (laughs) information, please. (laughs) Yes. Because especially against the Warriors with guys like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and even bigs who can shoot free throws like DeMarcus Cousins, the foul situation is paramount. It changes how you guard. Yep. And the entire time I was looking up, seeing one who was in foul trouble, but more importantly, what team was in foul mm-hmm. trouble in terms of how close and how early someone was going to get into the bonus. Because, listen, even with Cousins in the game, even with Bogan in the game, if you're in the bonus or close to it, 
your ability to attack and get to the rim is helped because you, you feel like, well, I may not make the shot, but if I get fouled, that's two free throws. Well, not to mention, like, the Raptors were holding their offense completely stagnant, and they gave DeMarcus Cousins, the one guy who hasn't been taking his shots, doesn't have any rhythm, four free throws where he was just rebounding 90 feet from his basket. Cousins was huge. And we on this podcast have talked about him a bunch, even though he mm-hmm. has not been a player in this market. You, at times in Sacramento, said, I'm done with this guy. Like, just there's no reason for him to redeem himself. And now he's not proven that he's worth max money. But I will say, add him to the list of players that the Warriors are rehabbing both health and perception. Because a guy coming back from another injury at the biggest stakes worked hard to come back early, hasn't played for 45 days, plays eight minutes in game one, wasn't great. Three points, did some nice things defensively, but a game two, 11 points, three of eight from the floor, 10 rebounds, and more importantly, six assists, allowing them to have some secondary scoring opportunities when that janky defense was played against Steph Curry. At times he was bringing the ball up. They went on a 7-0 run where DeMarcus Cousins was playing point guard for all of those possessions. Hit Iguodala for his three, the three he hit before he hit the back-breaking three. Hit Klay Thompson again, backdoor. They signed him with the mid-level, thinking, ah, he's great insurance. We may need him. He may have a stretch that steals us a playoff game. It's already paid off. He stole them again. So I'm on record multiple times as saying the more DeMarcus Cousins, the better. And I was thrilled to see he was starting in that game because I really believe that Kevon Looney is their best answer at the five right now. Like if they're going to go big, Kevon Looney is their best guy because he can do what we talked about earlier, which is switch out onto Kawhi Leonard, play out on the perimeter and give you some decent defense out there. He also can finish around the rim. I don't really see what the drop off is uh, or what DeMarcus Cousins does all that better than him other than maybe shoot a three with his feet set wide open. And I also forgot about the playmaking. And that's the one thing I think I underestimated a little bit with DeMarcus Cousins coming back is he's just a really high IQ player. And that with playing with other guys like the Warriors who do so much off the ball and are so capable off the ball. And like you said, having guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson who are running multiple miles and wearing down opponents on that end, having a touchstone like DeMarcus Cousins who will always be looking for those players at the rim and looking and finding and being able to read a defense has a lot of value. And, and you saw that in that game. I still think he's very out of shape. I still think that the Raptors were looking at him and saying, every time he's on the floor, we're going to attack him defensively. And it had a lot of effect throughout that ball game, especially for Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Kawhi Leonard got a lot better when it was DeMarcus Cousins that was having to come out in the perimeter and, and trying to gap him and trying to close him and trying to slow him down and ended up fouling him a bunch when he went to the rim. Marcus Holt didn't attack him but, offensively. Nope, enough. not enough. Uh, but not the same way that Mar- DeMarcus Hall was in that other game, in game one where he was looking for his shot. But Boogie Cousins was a playmaker in that game. He came up with clutch rebounds. He got good position on a bunch of different baskets where he got right under the hoop. He forced the Raptors to foul him a few times. He hit a big above the break three in that ball game. And he was more than passable. Like he came up with a a massive performance when that team needed him. Because again, we keep going back to this, but the strength in numbers thing, I know that the Warriors did have performances from just about everybody that night. Like, that was toughness, man. That was just like a veteran mental toughness that the Warriors had a little bit over the Raptors in that game. Again, on paper, there's no reason to think the Raptors shouldn't have been able to pull that out. And DeMarcus Cousins somehow dug into a place that not a lot of Raptors went in that ball game and really helped them pull it out. Here's another reason why it's a big miss. Because the gamesmanship between the two coaches has been really interesting in terms of things that they've done to change how they're guarding who they're guarding, who's playing 
when and whom. And so Nick Nurse, game one, it trapped Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Sending the soul, making him real big, making that pass to Draymond Green real difficult. Steph had a couple turnovers. And more importantly, Draymond Green did not get the ball on the move where he could do something with it. Mm-hmm. He got lollipop passes over length of Gasol where Siakam could recover. And it relatively worked. Steph had a good game, but ultimately people thought, oh, that, that was pretty good. They come out with an entire different defense. The box and one, the janky defense that Steph Curry mentions. Because they know you gotta that, love that by the way. What? Just well, I think it's like the Patriots, right? You have to look for slights. Mm-hmm. Like you have to really dig deep to find some slights because you really want to keep that underdog mentality. Everyone in sports does. Did you ever play on a football team where you didn't want to kind of be the underdogs? Where you liked being the massive favorites? Like there's something fun about and there's something that creates cohesiveness when you think that people are sliding you or that people don't believe in you. It adds an edge to you. And Steph Curry trying to throw the box in one as though with no Clay Thompson on the floor, the Raptors, I mean, there's a case for them to do have done things differently, but it ultimately had a lot of effect. Like the Warriors didn't score for five minutes in the fourth quarter with the Raptors using that defense. Steph Curry had a backbreaking turnover later in that game. They almost turned it over again before Andre Iguodala hits that shot. And he's like, that's a janky defense. <laughs> like, he's mad about it. Steph, it was kind of working on you, man. Like, that janky defense was kind of the, the right call in that situation. Well, and he's it, like, disrespect to Andre Iguodala. It's like, they don't want to give wide open threes to Andre Iguodala. But if that's the way that you're going to lose, I think the Raptors take that shot 10 times out of 10 if, if they're going to have the, the game be settled that way with six seconds left. Well, it, I mean, it is disrespect in the sense that the last time Steph Curry saw a box and one, he was playing at Davidson. Like, mm. we're in the NBA Finals, and you're literally on-ball guarding him hard and have four defenders with one foot in the paint staring at him, mm-hmm. being like, whichever way you go, we've got you. And but that's the one thing that would have been unacceptable to have the Raptors get is, like, an open three-point shot from Steph Curry or one of those, like, floaters that he loves to do off the glass. Like, if he hits one of those... Steph Curry pool shots there and it breaks your back. You're just thinking, what the hell? Like, let Iguodala beat you. Let DeMarcus Cousins beat you. Let a Draymond Green shot beat you. To me, that was actually kind of the right call for the Raptors to do. I don't view it as disrespectful when you look at Andre Iguodala and he's playing on one leg and he hasn't made a three-point shot since early May and say, yeah, you you hit one. Like, well, that's just it, smart. It worked on Steph for large portions of the game. He went... Uh, scoreless in the fourth when it was closing time. He didn't get his first basket until four minutes left in the second quarter. Now, in the second and the third, he went off. But if you rewatch that possession, the Iguodala three, if you're listening to this podcast, rewatch the entire possession. Ball comes over half court. They get it to Steph, obviously. He's immediately double teamed. Van Vliet has the primary defense. Siakam comes with the double. He gets it back to Draymond Green. Again, I'm going to go with the this is in the dumb will get you beat category. Possession started with 26 seconds left. So 26 or 27. There's, there's, it was 26. So there's two-second differential, two-second and change differential mm-hmm. between shot clock and regulation. The ball goes into Draymond Green's hands, who is being guarded by Danny Green. Why are you not fouling? Like, what are we doing? Even if we get a miss, we're going to get the rebound with two seconds left. If you got it right off of the rim with, with two seconds left and call timeout, Law probability says you should foul and extend the game. So that was the first mistake. But number one, if you watch the play, Kawhi is guarding Sean Livingston. Nobody is guarding Iguodala the entire possession. Mm-hmm. Steph actually makes a mistake and thinks he's going to get fouled, yeah, doesn't. Him earlier. Tries to split it, can't. Puts two hands on it to secure it. 
throws it to Livingston, who comes and gets it, luckily, because if Kawhi steals that, it's a fast break going the other way. Uh, Livingston actually makes the right decision and gives a no-look to Iguodala, who hits the three. Iguodala had the entire possession to measure that three. So I know he hasn't hit a three since game six of the Rockets series, which was over a round ago. But he's still an NBA player, and you gave him a warm-up shot with the game on the line, and you're down to. Mm-hmm. Even if he misses long shot, long rebound, the game is probably over. So I do understand what Steph's saying in the sense that that defense was so unconventional that at times it didn't make sense, which is why they had 22 straight assisted field goals because everyone else, sure, I can make a backdoor cut. There's literally four guys looking at Steph Curry the entire possession. So my initial reaction was two things. One, that Iguodala shot too early. And I was saying, if I was Steve Kerr, I'd been like, why didn't you hold that ball for two more seconds before he shot? Because you missed that. The Raptors get the ball. Six seconds left. They're thrilled. Like, they can't believe that they got this lucky, that they have this much time on the clock, and that it was Andre Iguodala that decided to shoot it. Like, even if it is an NBA player with that much time, it is still someone who's had, I think it was, I think he's now hit one three because of, he hit one in that game earlier. So one three since May 11th, I think is the stat before that one. So again, you're feeling pretty good, even especially considering he is on the one leg. I think he was right to shoot it in rhythm when, when he felt the shot. Like He's earned that respect. He is a former Finals MVP. He's, he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. He's a part of the Hampton Five. If he felt like he's in rhythm, who am I You know, in the boardroom here at Sportsnet getting ready to record the Good Show podcast? to criticize it. So that works out. I think the Raptors still made the right call, not fouling like that. Warriors team is just so good historically at shooting free throws. You had like a split second opportunity to maybe get to Sean Livingston. You foul him in the games over anyway, too. Like at that point, once you would let it go, like, I think you're fouling right away or you can't foul at all. Like once it got down to where Livingston has the ball, there's like seven, eight seconds left. He makes those free throws. The game's over. So I didn't mind that call from the Raptors. I think that they trusted their defense. It's been their identity all season long. But they were clearly hunting for a steal, it, and they almost got one. They it, almost got one twice. But it wasn't the call from the Raptors. Look at the bench. Nick Nurse and his assistants are saying foul. The rule is under 28, you foul. Over 28, you don't. They just had a brain cramp. Is that what they said in the post game? I didn't hear Nurse, but I just... The only thing I saw of the bench was when Iguodala actually knocked it down with Serge Ibaka just doing the like the the, the surrender cobra slash just complete meltdown like uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. Nick Nurse, not wanting to throw his team under the bus, said he'll have to watch it again. But their rule is in that situation to foul. If you watch Nick Nurse on the sideline, he is saying foul until it gets into Curry's hands. Then he's saying don't foul. And then it gets out of Curry's hands. And he's saying foul again. So I thought it was a missed opportunity. The Raptors still obviously are in this series. It's 1-1. It's now a best of five. And they go to Oracle doing a lot of good things. As I said before, they've won six of the eight quarters in this series. And Golden State has some real health concerns. This is the thing. Let's tackle that as we wrap up the pod. We don't know the status of KD. We, We probably won't know for a while. Looney, it's a question whether or not he'll play. He was getting treatment immediately after the game for what they're saying is a collarbone issue. For a guy who one of his greatest skills is offensive rebounding a hard fall. And, and showing his length defensively, it's going to be tough to lift his arm above his head. So that will limit him, certainly. That sucks, eh? Because he's a guy who is, I think he's going into a contract year. And uh, he's just having an incredible NBA Finals. He seems like a really good dude. He was someone that a lot of Raptors fans wanted them to draft that year that they were hoping that Kevon Looney would be coming to them. Just one of the, like, 
happier stories of the finals and then he has a fall like that and you just feel bad for the guy Mm -hmm. we'll see what the status of clay thompson is that's the big one so as our listeners know the warriors and the raptors they leave and enter the court from the same tunnel same side which is kind of awkward but what are you going to do it's the mechanics of the arena thompson was so hurt that not only was he trying to get them to foul to get off the floor he was pissed when abaka hit that big three when they took him off the floor, they took him through the other side. So basically, if you don't know the layout of the Scotiabank Arena, they had to walk him like through concessions to get back to their locker room. He went past the hot stove cafe. He did walk, though. He did walk. But, but the one is he was so injured, they didn't even bother bringing him through the court and then through the, the crowd. They got, got him off of the floor and out of sight as fast as possible. He was walking afterwards. He did have ice on it. But the big thing is they got a five-hour flight back that night. They land in the Bay Area at 3 a.m. Anyone who's pulled a hamstring or has hamstring tightness, it's impossible to get comfortable. You can't really sleep. It tightens up. You have to get up and stretch it out. Unless Drake allowed him to use the OVO plane. I'm just going to say, though, I bet you their plane is nice, and I think they've probably got it that a little bit figured out it's still five hours yeah, up in the sure. air hey listen and you're I, still getting home at 3 a.m and we know you don't recover the same way in the air as you do just like sleeping and and not traveling so yeah i think it's a little bit of something i'm not going to be the guy who just counts him out of this series but i will say this the raptors are going to play game three in oracle with demarcus cousins having played 26 plus minutes after you know being not in nba shape and not looking fully healthy yet Andre Godala fell in that game in a way that you thought he was going to be out for the rest of the series. Like he was on the floor laying there and you thought this is a guy who now understands like it's done for him, that that might've been his career. He battles back in that game, but he's obviously not the same player. And he was not guarding Kawhi Leonard for a lot of different possessions in the rest of that half because they just knew that they didn't have that in his legs. You have Clay Thompson, who now has a hamstring injury. You're likely not going to see Kevin Durant. You're likely not going to see Kevon Looney. This really feels like Okay, you blew game two. Turn the page. You have to win game three in Oracle to get home court advantage back because you're likely not going to have an opportunity again where the Warriors are this banged up and this vulnerable in that spot. I still believe the longer the series goes, Mm -hmm. the better opportunity it is for the Golden State Warriors. This is like an exam in university. You remember how the, you know, your, your tests and your quizzes, your exams would all be weighted differently? For the Raptors, this series, the early games are weighted much heavier than the late ones because... I don't think it gets late if they don't take advantage of the games and the opportunity early because if KD comes back, that's a massive factor. But also, I mean, we've seen it. Boogie is playing himself back into shape. The injuries that Kyle Lowry has with his thumb or Kawhi Leonard, although he looked much more energetic in game two, has with his thigh. Those are things that are not necessarily going to get better Mm-mm. over time, over the course of this series. The Warriors are, are injured now, as injured as, as probably they're going to be. Game three is big. No matter how long the series goes, we're going to have you covered. Be reacting after every game right here doing this podcast. Game three is on Sportsnet. Sportsnet 1 also. Sportsnet now, so you can stream it Sportsnet, wherever good luck. you are. Sportsnet, Sportsnet good luck. 1-0 yeah. in the series. Just saying, maybe give all sports on all the games. Game six. They win game three. It's got to be a conversation. Game six versus the Bucks. Sportsnet game. Game seven versus Sixers. Sportsnet game. Just saying. Just saying. But yeah, we'll have your coverage, obviously, on the channel. Nikki Reyes, Rashmadani heading to the Bay Area. 
but they're going to be doing some reports for Sportsnet Central. The digital team will be here. Uh, Daniel's show has uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. So go on our from Instagram. From the road? Uh, no. Oh, from here. The digital team will be here. Yeah, we're actually going to uh, probably watch the game from a uh, local establishment and do our IG Q&As, which have been Ooh. really, really well followed and well interacted. So thanks for the love. How come you didn't invite there. me? To that i didn't invite anybody actually i just work here i'm just here so i don't get fined i'm here we're doing good show reaction podcasts that go up as soon as the game's done so ben ennis and i are jumping in we're giving the visceral reaction to the game we're still going to do our radio show today with actual experts i think we have today brennan haywood kirk goldsbury ben golliver and i'm missing oh amin al hassan who's one of my favorites so loaded good show have guests that are just best from around the nba all week long uh hopefully jalen rose tomorrow uh, i think that's supposed to go down make sure you listen to that as well i'm here alone i don't get to go to a fancy bar like you i have to just watch it in the studio with ben my only work friend i don't know if the bar will be fancy but the game will be fun will you get free food i don't know uh, if let's, it's pit, a, let's push for it right now. Hey, whoever, who's ever buying Donovan Bennett's time for uh, game three? Maybe they'll throw in a little food. If it's not free, I'm going to expense it. So <laughs> I'll be okay. Uh, we will be back on Thursday with this for you that is free. It's free association. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.